Welcome to the We Raise the Stars and Stripes Over Japan podcast. My name is Mark Stephen Schwartz, and it is both an honor and a privilege for me to read the diaries from Allied and American civilian prisoners of war interned in and around Kobe, Japan during the Great Pacific War, World War II. This is episode number 36. February 1st, 1943. Max Brodowski. Yesterday we had a pretty good snowfall here in Kobe, and the hills are f- and forests were beautiful. Today we went on a hike. We went by road as there was much snow in the hills. We hiked to a mountain tea house and had coffee. The trip was beautiful with the sun glistening in the snow. These hikes are a godsend to us as they break the monotony and give us some exercise to keep us from complete stagnation. Harold Brinkerhoff The sun is shining brightly. Such a beautiful sight, the glistening white snow. The trees were beautiful during the storm, tufted with beautiful snow jewels. It is the first time in my life I have seen it snow so much. From the news, it seems things are very bad on the Russo front. Things aren't going too well in the South. The articles are trying to work up the fighting spirit at home. The paper yesterday said the Americans in the South ran over wounded with steamrollers they were using to roll airport runways. American tanks broke through the lines and ran down wounded soldiers marching in columns behind the lines. The Americans and Tommies are worse than wild animals. They're inhuman and must be crushed at all costs. All scuttlebutt about the exchange has died out. It looks as though Germany might try and force these people to go against Russia. They're giving back to nationalist China all possessions and forcing them to declare war points to the fact that they are apt to withdraw their soldiers then and send them north. Nearly every day there is an article about the dastardly, indiscriminate bombing of Burmese civilians by the British. Tojo, in his Diet Speech of the 28th, promised Burma and the Philippines their independence sometime this year. I'm afraid they think they can't hold Burma, so they will save face by giving her independence. They are afraid Turkey will be forced to join the Allied camp, and it is only a matter of time until it happens. The paper stated that British, Australian, and American troops were in Turkey, and they made it appear they were protecting the Turkish army. I don't see how it could be possible, because... If the Allies were in Turkey, it would mean Turkey had already gone over to the Allies. I wish we could get some news. Everything is so distorted, one can't make heads or tails of it half the time. Roy Henning Feel very stiff and sore from yesterday's exercise. Snow still covers everything. Lays all day. Very cold weather. Tired of snow already. Writing trigonometry data. Have code class from Edward Bacon and Bryant Sterling and Nick and Surdy. 
February 2nd, 1943. Charles F. Gregg. Snow's still on ground, but now raining, and it will soon be gone. Roy Henning. Snow's still on ground, windy, cold day. Working on trigonometry, reading, holding code class, and radio theory. February 3rd, 1943. Roy Henning. Snow still laying around, but going slowly. Receive kits, American and Canadian. Trade my coffee for butter and pilchards. Four packs of cigarettes for two cans of Klim. Wash hair and take sponge bath. February 4th, 1943. Charles F. Gregg. Number one. Dick Arvidsson back from hospital. All okay. Two. Germans announced that their forces, 250,000 plus, at Stalingrad had made their last stand and went down fighting. Three. Chiang Kai-shek, Churchill, and possibly Stalin, if not then Molotov, are having meetings in Washington. Four. Still lots of bragging by Japanese headquarters about supposed thunder sinking of U.S. naval forces. Two battleships, two heavy cruisers, and damaging of two other cruisers and two battleships. No announcement of any kind from Washington or Allied Command. Roy Henning. Snow gone but colder weather. Police make us go out in the yard complete inspection of our belongings, money, etc. Play music with Bob. Works good. February 5th, 1943. Roy Henning. Eclipse the sun at 7.52 a.m., but clouds obscure it. Sell my carved guitar to Charlie Moneyhun for 25 yen. February 6th, 1943. Harold Brinkerhoff. Yesterday, there was an 83% eclipse here. It was so hazy that little difference was seen. There was a very good article in the paper. The headline was as follows. Slaughter all Yankee brutes, shout Nippon soldiers dying in Solomons. There is a lot of propaganda lately about the atrocities of the Yankees and the British. Great effort is being made to stir up the people. An article about a landing party of Japanese, the following story was told. We made an unresisted landing. We were going through the forest when suddenly we were frightened by sounds of approaching enemy planes. We took to shelter. Soon a huge flock of parrots came near. They were making noises of airplanes. They could imitate single planes planes in formation, and planes dive-bombing. Several times during the day, we were dive-bombed by this flock. Each time we were frightened by the realism of the sound made by the parrots. Roy Henning. Overcast weather. Rains most of the night. Don't get up for breakfast. Sleep in. Practice lots on mandolin work and check Tiny Lukey's physics problems. February 7th, 1943.
Charles F. Gregg. Fred Oppenborn returned from the hospital, still in weak condition, but able to walk around and be out of bed most of the day. Roy Henning. Sunday. Bitter cold wind. Red in bed, good part of the day to keep warm. Practice music with Bob. February 8, 1943. Harold Brinkerhoff. All of our sick men are back now except for Bill Hughes. Oppenborn came back yesterday and Arvidsson a few days before. Both had appendectomies. Bill Hughes had the index finger of his right hand removed. It was necessary because of a wound received by a ricocheting bullet in Guam. Several fellows are down with colds. I will knock on wood as I have not had one yet. It is very cold this morning. The ground is frozen hard and a thick white frost all over the ground. We had a big ball game yesterday. There were 16 Japanese boys smaller than Snowball and not nearly so old on our tennis courts playing ball. Four of us went out and we chose up sides. The Japanese boys thought they were pumpkins because we would let them play with us. When we quit, they wanted to know if we could play with them next Sunday. All of them shouted, goodbye, and we said sayonara. I am practicing from 30 to 45 minutes on the piano each day. I would practice longer, but the piano is in the classroom. There are classes in Spanish 1 and 2, German, French 1 and 2, Chinese, Japanese 1, 2, and 3, Catholic Theology, for Catholics only, Protestant Bible Study and Philosophy, Catholic Catechism. Things are looking up for an exchange. A fellow who was supposed to go to the hospital for an operation was not allowed to go. There have been numerous questionings in the Diet as to why there had not been exchanges, what was being done for the Nationals. There's been a lot of talk about ill treatment. Chile accused Nippon of ill treatment of her diplomatic staff. Nippon accused the United States, Britain, and South American countries of ill treatment. Some Japanese came out the other day with the idea that they should send enemy nationals home so they could tell of the good treatment by the Japanese. When questioned in the Diet, the Secretary of Foreign Affairs said there would be an exchange as soon as arrangements could be concluded. It is beginning to snow very lightly. It reminded me of the falling of cotton from the cottonwood trees in the spring. Roy Henning. Little snow on roofs in morning. Mandolin practice, physics, reading, and ex exercising. February 9th, 1943. Roy Henning. Feet cold most of the day. Can't seem to get them warm. This is the day three years ago that I arrived on Guam. Rigged up a writing table for my bed. February 10th, 1943. Roy Henning. Tiny Lukey bakes me a swell salmon loaf. Used one can of salmon, three crumbed hardtack, three tablespoons of clem. 
February 11, 1943. Harold Brinkerhoff. Dear Elzada, happy birthday to you. How I wish I could be there in person. Yesterday was your birthday here. It is now 6 o'clock p.m. where you are the 10th of February. Here it is 11 a.m. February 11th, 1943. Last night at 10 p.m., 5 a.m. your time, I sent you a mental birthday greeting. Also at 4.30 a.m. today, 11.30 a.m., I sent another. For no reason at all, I suddenly awoke at 4.30. I'd been dreaming I came home to Coronado. I came in the front door and all the furnishings were gone except the floor lamp, radio, sideboard, and rug. I asked where they were, and you said you didn't expect me so soon and had sent the overstuffed out to be washed. It is a lovely day. The sun is shining brightly for the first time in several days. Headlines in the paper say, Wonderful, wonderful war results achieved in the, in the Solomons. The article goes on to say, They have defeated the enemy on Guadalcanal and Buna, so there is no further reason for them to remain there. So they withdrew to new positions. Then they go ahead to say the enemy were superior in numbers and equipment, had superiority of the air. The Japanese could not get supplies or reinforcements to their men, so having accomplished good results, they were withdrawn. Roy Henning Getting along good on mandolin can play about six pieces now. Working physics problems at night. Pitch ball in morning. Improve on left hand. February 12, 1943. Charles F. Gregg. Distribution of Red Cross kits. One each American and Canadian. Roy Henning. Went to dentist today. He put in inlay. Painless, efficient job. Quick work. Send code for Ed Bacon and Bryant Sterling. Learn little spherical trigonometry. February 13, 1943. Harold Brinkerhoff. I have had numerous happy days in my life, but without a doubt, this is the happiest. Yesterday I was snorting around about not receiving any mail. Today I received a lovely letter from Elzada and the boys, and one from Ruth. Boy, was I thrilled by the three snapshots of Elzada and the boys. I will hardly know my boys when I get home. I am sorry to see how Elzada has aged. Since Elzada missed me on her birthday, I feel my mental message of last year's birthday was felt. Our letters have been here in Nippon a long time. They arrived on August 21, 1942, evacuation ship, so it took five months and 23 days for their arrival from Tokyo. I know for sure I have another letter from, from Mother, as it was her second letter which I received, written June 10, 1942. Elzada's letter is dated May 19, 1942, 
and postmarked May 20th. Ruth's letter is dated May 24th, postmarked May 25th, 1942. Some fellow's mail had been to China. I hardly think mine has, as there is no Chinese mark on it. I feel now that I have heard from Elzada that I can bear a longer stay here, but I hope we will leave soon. There is a lot of agitation here for exchange. The papers report Japanese nationals in foreign countries are receiving much better treatment since complaints were sent by the Japanese government. There is an article attributed to Vice President Wallace saying Tokyo will be bombed from Chinese bases by hundreds of planes before the year is out. I can't get over my letter. It is fine to know one is missed by one's loved ones. What a lovely letter Elzada wrote. It was not a single word censored. Charles F. Gregg Received letters from Fanny mailed May 11, 1942. Surely good to hear from home, even though the news is nine months old. There are surely numerous letters from the folks, company, etc., which have failed to be delivered. Such is the fate of a war prisoner. On the other hand, we have been permitted to write only once. The police have continually denied us the privilege of writing, but now say that in a few weeks we may be permitted to send a letter of not more than 50 words, perhaps monthly. Oh, yes. Roy Henning. Sleep in this morning. Wow, great surprise. Just now received a letter from Ma and Pa enclosing a photograph of themselves. Just what I most desired. Folks are looking swell. Good news. Letter was dated May 1st, was mailed June 3rd, 1942, received here February 13th, 1943. February 14th, 1943, Roy Henning. Sunday, haircuts from Japanese barber. Studying pretty steady on trigonometry. Copying dope and notebook. Um... Conducting code practice to Bryant Sterling and radio theory lessons to Harpo in the evenings. February 15, 1943. Roy Henning. Mess cooking today. Sunny weather, but very cold still. Went up in the hills on wood party. Roy Hahn and I bring in a big log. Take a complete sponge bath in cold water. Working all morning on trigonometry. February 16, 1943. Roy Henning. Receive American and Canadian kits. Trade tobacco for Clem. Cigarettes for Clem. One candy bar for Oleo. Make trade with Han for Canadian a kit. And can Canadian butter complete. I give him all my remaining four coffees. Take a long walk back and forth in yard with Harpo. February 17, 1943. Harold Brinkerhoff. I have had Elzada's letter four days. And I practically have worn it out from reading it. Perhaps I shall receive more letters soon. 
Several came yesterday for some of the other fellows, so it looks as if the censor's office is getting busy. We heard three fellows from Mark's house left their house AWOL. They went to a Russian cat house. They paid 30 yen each for a few minutes' enjoyment. Now all three are paying in suffering and money. Roosevelt's Lincoln's birthday address is in the paper. The Japanese are belittling anything he says. He states that allies shall not cease fighting until allied armies march through the streets of Berlin, Rome, and Tokyo. Great effort will be made to drive the Japanese out of China, thereby opening a direct air route to the Nippon continent. Roy Henning Rains all day, weather much warmer now. Did a lot of trigonometry work, mandolin practice. February 18, 1943, Roy Henning. To the dentist, have teeth scaled, polished, read Popular Mechanic magazine. Raining all day, off and on. February 19, 1943, Roy Henning. Study trigonometry all morning, wash clothes in the afternoon, and shave. Weather crisp, sunny, all day. February 20th, 1943. Max Radowski. Four days ago, I received two letters from my beloved wife. The first one she wrote, and the third one. Number two, I received way back in August 1942. These letters I will copy here. San Francisco, April 8, 1942. Dear Sweetheart, I just received the good news today that I can write to you, so I'm hastening to let you know all are well here and hoping soon, hoping soon to get a letter from you. Your message via Tokyo Shortwave was received in time for the 56th anniversary party, and you can well imagine what hap happiness it brought. I am glad, Maxie, the locket with my picture is still with you, and I know it will continue to bring good luck. The family is going in its regular routine, Pa visiting the store for his recreation, and everyone else doing all the things you remember with Marcia who is nine months old now, holding the center of attention. The company has been sending your monthly money as per your directions to them, and Mr. Beecher has been most kind to me. I have been working in the San Francisco hospital office from 8.30 to 1.30, and it has been very pleasant. You know it is good for me to keep occupied. Tell Grant Wells I have been in constant touch with Donna, and that his family are all fine. That the new baby, Virginia Sue, looks like him. Beverly is a darling and very sweet to Donna. I've been corresponding with Louise Fury in Seattle, talked to Carol Fall on the phone, know Bob Fiance's fiance, know Bob Vaughn's fiance Anne, and talked to her on the phone. And please tell Roy Henning of the Cable Company that his mother and I are good friends and talk together on the phone every few days. Even if spoken to Mrs. McGuff, 
your school teacher who is very anxious to hear news of you. Jim Thomas's message reached here, and I'm sure his mother was glad to get it. I hope, my sweetheart, you are well and of good cheer. All the messages received have told us of the good care you are getting, and for that I am grateful. Your father wants me to give you his regards and says he hopes you are well and of good cheer. My mom says she is pray praying for your speedy return, and as for the rest of the family, they will all write as soon as it is possible. Well, my darling, this is all for this time, as I have been asked to send you a small message. But in the meanwhile, you know my thoughts and heart are with you always, and that God may bless you too, and keep you until we meet again. All my love to you, boy, and keep well and cheerful. So long, love, Ethel. Letter number one. This is my sweetheart's first letter. It shows her courage in accepting the inevitable and hoping for the best. Letter number three is follows. San Francisco, May 7th, 1942. My sweetheart, this is my third letter to you, and I hope and pray, my darling, that they will get through to you so you will know everyone here is well and only waiting for your return. I am repeating this, but want you to know the company is sending your check to me each month as you directed them, and I am working in savings so that you will have something on your return. I have a position in the San Francisco Hospital director of nurse's office, and it is very pleasant work. Start at 8.30 a.m. and finish at 1.30 p.m., so in that way have my afternoons. Mr. Beecher has been in constant touch with me, and he couldn't have been more kind. If it is possible, would like Grant Wells to know that I see and talk to Donna continuously, and that she and the babies are fine. Tell Roy Henning I have called on his mother and father and that they are fine. Also tell Fred Fall that I have talked to Carol Fall and tell Doc Fury that Louise and I correspond. Tell Bob Vaughn that I see and talk to Ann Bejera and that she is going to live with Donna Wells. Tell Mr. Underwood, the postmaster, that I have spoken with his daughter, Mrs. Robinson, and Conklin, I don't know his first name, that I have spoken to his wife, and I am going to see her next week. Things are running along in the family as you know them, the store still busy, and all of us spending time there, including your father, who still gets his diversion that way. My father is still on the same work, and Mom watching out for all of us. Sunday is Mother's Day, and Gussie and Al are having my family and yours for the day. Jane and Muriel have moved up here, and it has been nice to have Jane's company. I have been told that I could expect a letter from you soon, and my darling, I can hardly wait to see your handwriting and know you are well, as I know if you are well, you have plenty of courage. Chuck Gregg told me once that I was the waitingest woman he ever saw, and boy am I, if I ever practiced patience then, patience then, I'm using that experience now to good advantage 
and just waiting for my beloved husband to return to me. Please, God, it will be soon. I'm well, my sweetheart, and keeping busy, as that is best, and I hope, boy, that I will hear the same from you. So long for this time. All my love to you, and that all is oodles, as you know. Love, Ethel. Roy Henning. Receives smallpox vaccination from Dr. Canico. No effect at all. Figuring out cable overlap test all day. Sitting yogi position on bed. Weather very cold. And this concludes episode 36 of the We Raise the Stars and Stripes Over Japan podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye now.